but let me do my best. I feel at this point, 2023, uh, especially considering the the catastrophe of the last three years that the whole world has been put through in the name of COVID-19, 
that it's actually distortive to speak of errors that they made because what I what I think what I see now is that it was not erroneous science, erroneous public health, erroneous medicine. Rather, it was perfectly executed new world order doctrine leading us into uh, the new world order and the great reset and all the things that our foes are quite open about at this point in the in the history are you are you with me so far where i'm going with this gary yes. yeah yes. so in terms of the uh global industrial demolition and reconstruction of what used to be called or what is called public health what what is strangely called medicine they re-engineered it starting with in earnest with aids um, and then escalated with COVID, they actually re-engineered it as total inversion. That is to say, it's still called public health if you openly kill a huge number of people, men, women, and children. Uh, this is actually the strange, strange story that is the hardest thing to sell to a so-called normie mind, that Anthony Fauci and his ilk lorded over this enormous re-engineering campaign that was actually a depopulation campaign masquerading as a saving lives campaign. So until I've established that, I can't speak in a way that makes sense anymore, you see, in terms of errors. So let's take AZT, for example. Let's No, let's, let's go further back. Now that I've said that, I can lay down some specifics brick by brick. Prior to the Robert Gallo, the fateful Robert Gallo press conference in April of 1984, it was a standard in medicine that you had to prove that uh, you had to provide proof to say that an organism caused a disease. And that standard was blown away on that day. And instead, it was science by press, not just press release, but press storm. So hundreds of cameras, Robert Gallo at a podium, as as Carrie Mullis used to say, you know, wearing those shady aviator glasses and engaging the public in something you might call some kind of trance, trance type of stuff, where instead of even attempting to document or prove why he was claiming what he was claiming, namely that the cause of AIDS had been found and that it was a retrovirus and that it was found in his lab at the NCI and all these wild claims, the public through several years of mass indoctrination, mass indoctrination through fear and terror of this novel disease was already primed to believe anything he said, sort of like the story we hear from cults like Jonestown or something like that, where people are already primed to just let anything go, go, you know, bypass their rational minds. Now, um, so that's the first colossal, uh, that's the original colossal, I can't call it a misstep, I need another word. Well, let's just call it colossal misfiring for now, that it flew 
that it flew, that instead of the press behaving like the press, scientific press behaving like press, or any press behaving like press, and saying, Dr. Gallo, what's your proof? Nobody did that. So it got set in stone within 72 hours in the mass media that HIV was the cause of AIDS. Now, after that, we were stuck in a deadly algorithm. It was a virus. It was deadly. Whether it was found in Gallo's lab or somebody else's lab was less germane. But the algorithm captured the whole world, just as COVID-19 has done. And the algorithm said, we have found the enemy. It's a deadly virus, universally deadly, no exceptions. The good news is we've patented a test for it. You can get tested for it. So now there were two possibilities, you know, life or death based on the test. Following that, the next part of the algorithm was those of you unfortunate enough to test positive, step right this way. We have life-saving drugs, the first of which was AZT, which is anything but life-saving. It was life-ending and quickly life-ending in those early high doses. Um, The algorithm from there, it went on and on. If you were pregnant and you were HIV positive, you the first line of advice was get an abortion. Then they introduced AZT throughout gestation, teratogen, mutagen, carcinogen. So this now breaks down the firewall set up up, uh, during the time of thalidomide when the U.S., pretty much alone, did not approve thalidomide for pregnancy thanks to the heroine Francis, uh, I want to say Francis Kelly. Maybe you'll fact check me on that. Uh, The woman who stopped the FDA approval of thalidomide in the United States almost single-handedly. So now we're in this Gallo-Fauci-AIDS industry AIDS Inc. algorithm and everything flows from the core lie that they had found and proven that the Gallo virus, as they told us it was, which it wasn't at all, uh, that the Gallo virus was deadly. And from that point on, as I say, as in a cult, the only thing that terrorized people could do was follow them all the way through their death algorithm. And then there was outside of that, starting with you, Gary Null, uh, wait a minute, not so fast. And the whole alternative dissenting possibilities that were possibilities for life, their algorithm was only designed to lead to death this way or that way, though it sold itself as that it was the only possibility of life. So now when I take what, you know, in hindsight, after all these years, what I see is the first building blocks, the first real building blocks for building a totalitarian medical world and universe in which people fall into this algorithm and and there's no hope there's no miracle there's no god there's no immune system there's nothing 
that mitigates the algorithm. And this fits exactly with what you now hear from these, I would call absolutely insane people like Yuval Harari, all those uh, globalist technocrats who speak like this, that that we humans are just nothing but hackable animals and uh, we're just essentially meaningless not even machines. We're just we're just meaningless parts of a much greater algorithm. And one of the most I'll wrap up for now with this and just say when I began to understood to really understand spiritually as well as ideologically the evil of AIDS was when a scientist named Richard Stroman told me around I remember when it was, it was in the year two thousand, and he was a critic of genetic determinism and lectured around the world on that subject. And he explained to me, he said, Celia, what we're in, what we're stuck in since World War One, it's called the machine model of biology. And they kicked God out of biology, Stroman told me. And they said we're not and they said we're not letting him back in. And the machine model of biology held AIDS was its first significant real fruit. And it held that that uh, again, you know, it's it's medicine by algorithm instead of in, in, instead of life itself being part of the possibilities of what happens. So they they dictate because it follows markets and banking. They dictate if you test positive for for this set of proteins that we're calling a virus, this is how much time you have to live if you don't do X, Y, and Z. So all of this points toward, yes, hypercapitalism, but also, and that's one critique that's valid. Boy, did they make a lot more money with these kinds of models. But I think even more dangerously and frighteningly, it points toward the the growing of or the emergence of the totalitarian new world order for which medicine and public health are absolutely critical key components. Thank you. Um, let us now go over to Peter. Peter, uh, as a scientist, as someone who was looking for the truth, could you just go through and check off the points that we can now say, well, this was not true, in part or whole, and I'm not ascribing a motive here, because in all situations, including certainly in COVID, we've had a lot of people who've given us misinformation, and yet I cannot at this time prove their motives. In some people, uh, I could be more specific, but for the vast majority of people, the physicians, the scientists, public health advocates, the journalists, we can say they didn't do their homework. They only looked for one truth, the official truth narrative, and nothing else. But when it came to AIDS, we had plenty of time now, over 40 years, to see here's what we were told, here's what we believed, here's what was wrong with it. Could you please go down that list? Uh, well, Gary, uh, first of all, I want to compliment uh, Celia. She gives some of the best encapsulations of the last century or whatever you want to discuss of anybody that I know. And there's not much I can add to that. But uh, to answer your question, it took me, oh, years to decades to basically uh, understand what uh, uh, the answers to the question that you asked me. 
It wasn't like I, I, I knew what was going on from the beginning. It, it took a while. So I'm going to do a, about a sort of retrospective uh, summation uh, of, uh, of what happened. Uh, when you uh, introduced this, uh, this program, uh, you wanted to know uh, what did they get wrong uh, at, uh, with the AIDS. Uh, everything. <laughs> it's that simple. They didn't get anything right. And as uh, Celia pointed out, it's, it's contrived. It was not a real thing. It was contrived. And the, the global uh, infrastructure that rules the world today was put in place during the AIDS scare of the 1980s and 90s. Uh, that was the preparation for what we're going through right now. So uh, you can see, you, you see, I'm not uh, I'm not delving into the the scientific uh, this and that. I mean, Robert Gallo was a criminal. He didn't discover anything uh, of uh, HIV or anything. Uh, they, there never was an AIDS epidemic in the sense of a sexually transmitted contagious uh, plague. The CDC knew as early as 1982 that AIDS was primarily uh, chronic use of recreational drugs in gay men and uh, IV drug users and heterosexual men, primarily. Uh, during the 90s, uh, I'm sorry, during the 80s, nine out of 10 AIDS cases were men, uh, and most of them were gay men, and into the 90s, eight out of nine AIDS cases were men. And think of it, contagious diseases can't, don't know whether or not you have uh, Two X chromosomes or one X chromosome and a Y chromosome. In other words, whether you're male or female, they don't, they don't know this. Infectious agents don't. So one of the first things that was very, very clear early on to me was that this supposedly uh, uh, contagious sexually transmitted disease, there was something seriously wrong with it. It never, ever behaved like a contagious disease, sexually transmitted or any other way. That, that was the first thing. It, it, it was never there. And, in, and everybody knew that. They really knew it. But the thing that is astounding, since, since all the scientists and the clinicians and everybody else understood that, then you have to ask yourself, why didn't they say anything? Uh, you know, why, why didn't they speak out? And this was one of the real, I guess you'd call it light bulb moments or something like that. For me personally, was back in 1985, um, when we had now in 1984, April 1984, we had the uh, government declaration. It was a declaration that AIDS was contagious, sexually transmitted, caused by a retrovirus, started in Africa, and invariably fatal. That was before any document had been published anywhere in the world producing the evidence for that. Became uh, government uh, uh, policy, which still is government policy to this day. You cannot challenge it. And uh, recently I heard uh, an old video, I guess, somebody talking about Peter Duesberg, somebody at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. Uh, they were commenting about Peter, uh, you know, and his opposition to the HIV hypothesis uh, that, that this retrovirus caused AIDS or anything else, and uh, how he's been ridiculed and everything. And this woman just sort of with a smile on her face said, oh, Peter just doesn't know how to play the game. Basically, that is it. That is the answer. He didn't know how to play the game. And that explained that, that particular thing didn't explain it to me. I learned it later, earlier on in, in the, in the mid-80s, 
when my, my colleagues, scientific colleagues that I'd had several years of uh, connection, collaboration with, uh, discussions uh, uh, once a month uh, uh, in, in San Francisco, and uh, we would talk about everything, including AIDS. And then when we found out on April 23rd, 1984, aha, what it is, caused by a retrovirus, sexually transmitted, et cetera, et cetera, I said, great, we, we now know what it is. We can all work on it and solve this problem. The problem is, is that over the next 12 months or so into the next year, the data were very clear. It's not contagious. It doesn't behave like a, a, a contagious disease at all. And, and uh, you, you know, how, how does a virus with only three genes, a retrovirus, how does it know whether you're gay or straight, rich or poor, white or black, or what zip code you live in? Well, HIV apparently did. And uh, when you just look at the reality. Uh, and so when I started bringing up this, uh, these, these, these uh, anomalies with my colleagues there uh, at these monthly meetings in San Francisco, they would not talk to me. They would not talk to me. I lost potential collaborations. I lost friends. And the, the most productive collaboration I had with the parasitologist, we mutually agreed in order to keep our very productive collaboration going that we would not talk about AIDS, about the problems with it. So think about it. I mean, you have a bunch of scientists for years who are talking about anything. We're interested in AIDS, and they'll go wherever they, they want to with these things and explore wherever they can. And now, all of a sudden, you cannot even discuss anything that goes against AIDS policy. That was a really serious thing. I meant science had nothing to do with it. Science is about debate. It's about arguments. It's about evidence. It's about challenging each other. And, and, uh, and, and you can do it with being passionate about it. That's okay. That's part of the game, <laughs> the real game. And then you go out and then you can go have a, a beer together with each other. But you don't shut down. As soon as you shut down and you cannot have discussion, you cannot ask questions, you know science is dead. There is no science there. Science, I witnessed it with my own eyes. Science died in the, in the middle 1980s, probably was on its deathbed before that. But science died in the middle 1980s and, it, and it's, still, it's still dead. It's brain dead to this day. So I probably didn't really uh, address the specific sort of technical questions uh, that you wanted, but I can just give you a few, a few examples of some, some things that make absolutely no sense. The, uh, uh, the antibodies, we all know, we've been taught in school and on, on uh, everywhere, the antibodies are a sign once you have antibodies that you're sort of immune to, to the thing that the antibodies are protecting you against. Well, AIDS turned that on its head. If somebody had antibodies to the supposed cause of AIDS, they were now considered an AIDS case, an AIDS patient, <laughs> you know, not immune to it. I mean, that, that's, that's idiotic. And yet, nobody asked any questions about that. That shows you how brain-dead scientists and the institutions were in the 80s and 90s and how they all knew how to play the game. You don't, you don't ask those questions. Why are antibodies now assigned? that you're going to die of AIDS instead of that you're okay, you're immune to it. Uh, the package inserts that come with the tests, the HIV antibody tests, the uh, uh, Western blot, the, the PCR tests, guess what it says on those, those, the inserts that come with those tests? You cannot use these tests to diagnose AIDS or the presence of HIV. Now, how about that? 
and those tests were used to do to do those things that the insert says that it cannot do, and it it made you uh, uh, potentially uh, uh, a felon of exposing somebody to HIV if you ha if you have antibodies to HIV. Uh, I forget how many states in, in the United States had felony laws for anybody who, without informing uh, the person that you had sex with, uh, and you're HIV positive. In other words, you have these antibodies to HIV. Uh, you could be convicted of a felony in most states in the United States in, in, in uh, the, the 1990s for sure. I know because I used to be involved in a number of court cases defending those people. So the, the stupidity, the idiotic uh, things that were going on, that were obvious to any scientist, any clinician, anybody with two brain cells uh, knew that it was crazy. And yet there was total silence, total silence. Uh, during the 80s, the 90s, and then that set the stage for where we're at right now with this idiotic situation that the world has been going through over the past three years. So I, I guess I'll shut up now <laughs> and let you ask me another question, or we can go back to Celia, who does a much better job. <laughs> no, you did. Both of you did fine. Um, I'm going to uh, lay out some issues, then we'll start with Cecilia to go through and say whether or not these are accurate or inaccurate. When it comes to COVID, and I'm in one sense comparing COVID's dynamic impact upon all of us on the planet and AIDS, and then see what they have in common. Example, uh, I did an hour and 54-minute interview with Carrie Mullis, who, as you both know and knew, was the uh, founder of the PCR test and won a Nobel Prize in chemistry for it. He said, do not use this test to diagnose AIDS. And he wanted to debate Robert Gallo. In fact, uh, in the interview with me, he said that he had the president of the University of South Carolina who had arranged a debate and Gallo backed out. He said, Gallo doesn't know what he's talking about, his words. Well, then what do we use? We used, uh, we used his PCR test but an amplification of approximately 40 to 41 uh, cycles, far above what he suggested be 13 cycles, so you'd have a more realistic understanding of what you're seeing. Even, even the Anthony Fauci said that if you start uh, looking at a PCR result above uh, 23 to 26, it's junk. And then we looked at all of the different uh, tests that were out there that people were lined up for miles to get, and it was at over 40. Therefore, how in the world could we say that these people were uh, COVID positive, COVID-19 positive, when the test that they were using was way over amplifying and therefore was junk science? And yet immediately the New York Times came out and uh, decreed that these people who were uh, COVID positive were were people who were infected, they were cases. And uh, then we said that everyone was equally susceptible, no matter what your immune status, but those who needed to be vaccinated immediately were senior citizens because they had comorbidities. And then we started vaccinating people against their will and against uh, the Geneva Convention, against even though we're not uh, held legally to the Nuremberg uh, doctrines against that as well. And in effect, we were experimented upon. And so when I saw this, and I wrote about it, uh, that the test was wrong, that determining this was pandemic was wrong, 
that a huge number of people already had the infection and therefore had natural antibodies, and the science was replete with this. And then even people treating, like Dr. McCullough, uh, as just one example, Dr. Cole, many others, treating people who were positive early or had symptoms early with known FDA-approved drugs, these people recovered, the vast majority. It is now estimated that had everyone who had symptoms been treated early with a combination of things like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D3, vitamin C, zinc, quercetin, and uh, and where needed, um, uh, azithromycin, antibiotic, or uh, any of these combined, that we would have saved about 90% of the people from being hospitalized and dying. But we didn't. To the contrary, all the journals were attacking, even suggesting that this therapy was good. Now, let's switch back. Now we know that all those journals had, had to, 300 articles in the scientific peer review journals have had to be rescinded because they were wrong. And these were all people pro-vaccine, pro-Fauci, pro-protocols. They were all wrong. But no one in the mainstream media has said, oh, and by the way, you know all those scientists we brought on the program to tell you that you should be in vaccine, one, two, three, four, five, indefinitely, mandatory? They were all wrong, and those articles being rescinded, and they're apologizing. None of that happened. Now go back to AIDS as a comparison. We had an antibody test, and as you correctly said, Peter, on the actual box itself in the package insert, it says... Do not use this test to determine if a person is HIV positive or has uh, AIDS. It's not for that. And as you also said, it was the first time that I'm aware of in science that the antibody became the enemy because you get vaccinated with a small attenuated or non-attenuated material in order for the body to create an immune response, and therefore you know you have an immune response by how healthy the antibody response is. Here, if you got an antibody, then it showed that you, were, you had the virus and you were going to die. We were told, as you both mentioned, that it was sexually, we were told it was sexually transmitted. That proved not to be true when they took an autopsy of over 22 men who had full-blown AIDS and died, and they couldn't find uh, HIV in their sperm. Also, the media did not want to talk about lifestyle. They didn't want to talk about aminonitrate and uppers and poppers that have been used uh, for at least the previous 10 to 15 years. And then we also found out, mainly through the work of a, a, you know, a diligent uh, science journalist, that, uh, that there were at least 82 different conditions, such as malaria, tuberculosis, pregnancy, hepatitis, uh, herpes, that if you had that and you ended up um, getting the test, you could end up showing a positive outcome where you weren't actually positive for AIDS or HIV. You were positive for these pre-existing conditions. None of that was ever considered or challenged. Everyone just went ahead and got the standard test. And so the test itself, much like the current test, were fraudulent, and that was shown. We were told get ACT. I debated. I don't know, Cecilia, if you're aware of this. I was invited at the very beginning to debate a group of doctors, all of whom were pro-AZT at New York, Medical, uh, New York University Medical School, and they had signs all around the back of the wall, you know, put time on your side, you know, we need drugs and AZT. Uh, I also had the person who was handling the AZT, one of the observers of the study upstate, 
um, come into my office with a stack of documents showing this whole study is a fraud. It was a fraud. They were excluding people who had taken AZT. They were pulling AZT versus the placebo because one had was a milk sugar and it tasted sweet, and the others didn't. So they did all wanted to get the drug, and they were uh, they were completely manipulating the test results. And she was angry about it, and so we did a broadcast on that. So at every point where media should have been sincere and interested in some outside impact, questions, science, facts, it closed down. We went from a sense of reason in science, as you mentioned, Peter, that we historically had where people could come together and debate issues as vigorously as you want, but at least there was an opportunity to now we had ideology, we had ideologues, and there was no debate, there was no free speech, you were condemned, you were censored, you were, you were attacked without merit in the attack. We only wanted one truth, and if you disagree with that, you were an AIDS denier. And everyone in the field, myself included, was called an AIDS denier. And then finally, my point is that just like we had therapies that were proven to work, and yet they were condemned as horse paste and, and no, when they said that, I provided over 350 studies from the peer-reviewed literature from library medicine for ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, then over 1,000 studies on vitamin D, vitamin C, um, uh, quercetin, and zinc on having antiviral uh, activities. And none of that was published in any of the meetings uh, of the scientific groups that were convening to tell us what to do. It was only remdesivir, a drug that was very deadly, and the vaccines. Now we know literally everything was wrong on uh, the vaccines. They hid this from the public. The FDA knew. In fact, the FDA interceded on their behalf and wanted to keep this secret for the next 75 years. Fortunately, through a lawsuit, that has all been uncovered and overturned, and um, hundreds of thousands of documents that were in the manufacturer's hands and now shows that they knew along about all the side effects that would happen. Back then, uh, we didn't see AIDS in the general population. We were all afraid that it would happen. It ended disco. It ended that nightlife. It ended, uh, uh, you know, uh, casual sex because people were terrified. Yet no one was talking about, does this have anything to do with our lifestyle? And why are the same people, certain groups of hemophiliac, uh, people who are living, not gays, but just a small segment of the gay community living a fast-track life, did this have anything to do with infectivity and the consequences to their immune system? The answer was no. Did the treatment itself cause AIDS symptoms? The answer was yes. And there were numerous studies that proved this, including the Concord study. So when we began to write about this and publish this, and I did the first article on this in 1984, and I subsequently did about 18 articles in a press conference and all-day symposiums, no one from the mainstream media would touch it. No one. So then there was just a blackout, and that was strange. So if you had the truth and you had long-term survivors and you had reversed AIDS conditions and full-blown AIDS, surely this would be of interest to someone, and it wasn't. 1,200 people with full-blown AIDS were treated uh, over a 15-year period at the Tri-State Hing Center. They weren't charged a penny, this treatment, at my orders was free. I created the protocols, and a, not a single person died, and they were all symptom-free, even though they still were HIV positive. But 11, um, 18 of those people decided to go on an advanced protocol, 
in that advanced protocol, they were being treated six days a week for 16 months, and they all reversed HIV positive to negative, no symptoms, totally normal, T-cell, T8, T3, F4, all normal. And we presented a press conference with a scientific review committee. Not a single member of the media showed up, even though they were invited three times. Today, the same thing happened. Frontline doctors present with patients and how they save their lives. No one shows up. The media doesn't touch them, and they're all harassed by state medical boards and threatened with losing their license. So these are the similarities between the two, and the common denominator is Anthony Fauci. And that's what we're not looking at, and the mainstream media has treated him like this, you know, this savior, and he's not. Your thoughts on this, Syria? Yeah, uh, fascinating uh, encapsulation by both of you. Uh, uh, so I would say, Gary, that when you say what we haven't looked at is the, uh, so Anthony Fauci himself as a figure, and of course he does have his first real challenger in terms of a print book, uh, a, a published book where everything about him and his record has been collected. And that's the real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. came out in 2021. And thereby we're now in the era where there is a, a like a dialectic of Fauci critique where people are looking at him pretty much split between two, you know, like a bifurcated lens. He's either the hero or he's the, um, the demon. And what I, what I, my thoughts about Fauci is he's, he's, he's a symptom of a system that none of us were quite able to see before. I don't think he's a random bureaucrat and he could have been anybody. I don't, I don't see him like that. I do think, however, that, that because we never really bothered to, we not bothered, we, we didn't think to look at him politically, ideologically, we didn't see him really. We thought he was a kind of dull bureaucrat. And I said in what I think is my most important contribution to the Kennedy book, I said the really striking thing about Anthony Fauci is that he's, I see him as a revolutionary. And Dave Rasnick mentioned, Dave mentioned that, that science broke down or died was actually his word in, in the mid eighties around, well, 1984 to be exact. And another thing's happening right there that is very significant. And that is that what is now called woke and was previously called political correctness is hitting the Western world, taking it by storm, descending like this, this dark ruinous cloud that gets into everything and changes everything, turns it upside down and inside out. And that's whatever that came from. And there are men, there are real theories about where it came from. I, I lean toward the theory that it was a decades, decades planned, uh, essentially, let's call it internationalist, because a lot of people get upset when I say communist. So I'll say internationalist, or I'll say globalist, complete takeover of every, every system, monetary, financial, educational, spiritual, every system. This cannot really be disputed that this plan has been underway in earnest, really, I would say since Vatican II, so when was that, early 60s, to 
demolish and reconstruct the world without na after nations so there will be no more nations no more religions one world order one flag one global government one way of, and all of this is made possible only if by the use of totalitarian medicine so i think fauci was a an agent of this master plan whereas to us he came across just like a zealot and a bureaucrat who was very obsessed with HIV per se, which I don't think he necessarily was, if that makes sense. So, Gary, let me pause here for a second and just say, with everything you've seen, does what I just said resonate with you, or do you think I'm out in the weeds? You're not out in the weeds at all. Um, and, David, I'm going to ask you to respond to this as well, I'll, and I'll tell you why I don't believe it, uh, that you're out of the weeds or in the weeds, we have at different times written articles and suggested that there are people who have power behind those who have power, that our most powerful people are selected before they're elected, and that people who have the worst of human traits, they're, they're not moral, they're not even amoral, they're immoral, they're not terribly bright, and they, they are egregious in their behavior because there's no consequence. And we were said, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. Now we see the World Economic Forum, unelected individuals from all walks of life, and they have a, they have a dynamic in, in place. It's being heralded by Professor Harari, who says the average person is useless and worthless eaters, and that we've got to get under your skin, meaning put a chip under the skin, and we're going to have transhumanism so that within 10 years or less, within 10 years, you will have no cell phones anywhere. In fact, the cell phone will actually be digitized and put under your skin. Uh, and then we have their efforts to digitize currency so they can control every purchase. We have 15-minute cities. There are more than 30 of them around the world. And they've controlled every industry. But who is controlling them? Then you have five companies. You have BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, and one other company, they control assets worth about $40 trillion, more or less. Pensions, all these hedge funds, all this, where your money goes when you're um, putting aside a certain amount every week out of your paycheck to go into a retirement fund, 401k, they control all that. And then they buy interest in stock and companies. It doesn't take a lot. You may have 5% interest in a corporation, depending upon how much stock's in that corporation out for sale, and that might give you a controlling interest, gives you someone on the board. Hence, they're policy makers. Now, the head of BlackRock is also on the board of the World Economic Forum, and the World Economic Forum has, come, has pulled back the curtain, and they show their relationship uh, with the Council on Foreign Relations, with the head of BlackRock also is on. So individuals who have no expertise in the areas that they are controlling are surrounded not by bureaucrats, but technocrats, people who all know one another, though they might not be doing business together. They control all competition. They control the entire food industry, uh, petrochemical industry. They control the medical industrial complex, the spy complex, the military industrial complex. They control big ag. They control the media. They control everything. They control thousands of corporations, not because they own those corporations, they don't, but because they have influence over them. And whoever influences the media, uh, seven companies control um, 
uh, five companies control the seven major media players, so it doesn't matter where a story is going to go. If it's New York Times, Washington Post, they control it. NBC, ABC, Fox, they control it. And as a result, nothing of the truth that they don't want to get out ever gets out unless it comes out by a whistleblower or, in this case, for the first time in the Republicans having some control to have House hearings, which are embarrassing those in power. And that's the only way the system will change. The only way it will change is when the silent majority, who are principally Democrats and Republicans who were so sick and tired of the establishment lying to them, those in power lying to them, in seeing this, and these people not being held accountable for anything they've done, they're now protesting vote. Their vote is saying, I'm against you because you lied. I'll vote for someone else. And it just so happens the one big kerfuffle in all this is Robert Kennedy Jr. He now is sitting around 22% with Marianne Williamson at 11%. And Robert Kennedy could split the Democratic Party and would. That suddenly upsets their whole agenda. Or the Bidens having to finally acknowledge with some indictment that or the release of these 17 audio tapes uh, that, wow, there really were, you know, pay for play, you know, five million to this, five million to that. And the media has run cover for them. Why would the media run cover for them? Why? Why would the historical Democrats and the so-called liberals, why would they protect these people? Because of the people who control the body politic. And it has nothing to do with the people in Washington. They're merely there to facilitate what those, the, the real power players have to do. And by the way, these people are so powerful that Bill Gates and, um, and, 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 and your other top one, like Larry Ellison and Jeff Bezos, um, these people at Elon Musk together are nothing more than chump change to these people. They have wealth, but they don't have the power that these people wield. And so they can enjoy their lives. They can be invited to meetings. But there's no one single body politic. They don't care whether you're Democrat or conservative, liberal or not. They just care, can we control every aspect of your life? And when they say control, they mean all of science, all of medicine, all of nursing, all of health care, all of our food, everything. And that's where we're at now. So you're not only prescient, you are ahead of that curve in a very direct and, and honest way. And that's what we should be concerned about. Now let's go over and David Rasnick, give us your insights on this because you were also one of the individuals who had the courage to say the truth and you were just hung out to dry before uh, because of it and yet there were 3,000 other scientists including multiple Nobel Prize winners chairmen of Department of, of Science and Virology at Harvard and other places who were part of that reappraising AIDS and I interviewed those people I, I published all of their quotes and uh, put it up on the internet and yet none of those people were ever asked for their opinion by any congressional committees um, or any of the foundations or in the media, as if these 3,000 dissidents didn't count. Well, now we have over 700,000 people who have signed the Great Barrington Declaration based upon the professor of epidemiology from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford, and those were also ridiculed and mocked and attacked. And there were 75,000 of us scientists who signed it and medical doctors. Now there's over 700,000, including activists and lay people. So the word is getting out, and this is this, they're so close to having all of this collapse 
if enough people keep sharing the information on a completely compromised Internet uh, because they control the Internet. And thank goodness Elon Musk, who I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but he let that cat out of the bag. And you saw what they did to Matt Taibbi, a great journalist, um, when he brought that before congressional hearing under oath. And immediately, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and other attacked him in his integrity as a pseudo-journalist. And he interrupted and says, no, I'm a real journalist. And they haven't stopped attacking him. Actually, went to the IRS, came to his door that very day. So we're seeing the overreach of unbridled power in every aspect of our life. There is not a single part that's not. And I'm trying to get people to get off the uh, get off the canvas and get back up and become a part of this. And Cecilia, uh, or Cecilia and David, if you have not read the article I wrote recently that took years of research, and it's called Vaccines Are Safe and Effective, or Are They? And I took on every single vaccine that's been in use and uh, and has been mandatory to show that not a single vaccine ever created has been shown to be proven both safe and effective. And I use the science from uh, from uh, all the different uh, peer-reviewed journals from to write this article, and that's my way of letting people know. Once again, even Robert Kennedy and I, I yelled it out at Robert uh, through Dennis Kucinich, his campaign manager, just uh, two weeks ago in Kingston, New York, at a rally. Uh, of Make America Healthy Again, and I said, hold Robert to the same standards so he doesn't go into that middle area of knowing the truth, not not saying it. For example, ask him on his first day, uh, from if he gets elected, he's going to pardon every whistleblower for the last 50 years and give him compensation for what they've lost, and then to go after all the intelligence agencies and break them up. We don't need them. And really, just go in and with a wrecking ball and tear down the advocacies of corruption that run Washington, D.C. Whether he uses any of the 50 points will remain to be seen. But we've got to let everyone know you're on notice. We've had enough. Those are my thoughts. David, I'd like to hear yours, please. Okay. Uh, I'm sort of a big picture person. And the way I've come to understand what's going on is certainly in the United States, but I think it's true all over the world. I consider it organized crime, that the government uh, and government institutions are organized crime. That's the best explanation I can come up with. They're all bought, I mean, like the, uh, at various levels. And the only reason they're in the positions that they are is because they were allowed to be in those positions uh, uh, by the powers that be. And um, uh, frankly, I'll be shocked if there is an actual presidential election in in 2024. I don't think it will be allowed to happen. And uh, I hope I'm wrong about that. But I cannot picture how these criminals at the uh, national level and all of its uh, tentacles of its organizations, how they could, they could not survive a, uh, an election, let's say, if Kennedy were elected or anything like that. Certainly, I doubt Kennedy could survive the election frankly. So uh, it's very, very bleak. I do not have, I mean, I think, I think this whole thing will collapse, but I frankly think uh, the world's, uh, as we know it, is going to be drastically different 10 years from now, if not sooner. And um, we're never going back. That's true. We're never going back to where we are. Thank God we're not, because where we were previously has led to where we are now, and that's clearly not a very good, healthy, healthy place to be. So... Uh, that, I guess that's my summary. Is it's basically I, global organized crime. 
I appreciate your input today, David Rasnick. Celia, final word from you. Absolutely concur with what Dave just said and what you said previously, Gary. And I, um, the the beast, if you will, the beast is the 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 global economic, uh, the new world order. If we go back, it's time to go back and really study it. And you can see step by step who they were, how they planned it, how to dismantle it is, is another question. But without, without getting at that, which is the heart of the beast, everything else is just a window dressing. Um, we need to dis we need to dismantle i know that sounds very grandiose but what i mean to say is to take a superficial view of what's happening for example to say oh the pharmaceutical companies are greedy that is a superficial view that we've been stuck in for decades it hasn't gotten us anywhere it is the it's the global the global takeover and destruction of humanity nothing less speaking for myself i didn't see it really until covid and we all need to come together on that it's not left right or any of that um we we just need to get out of the system and build a new one somehow and i i agree with get with dave i can't really see how there's going to be an election in 2024 just like aids showed us there's no science the last election th there are no elections there's no medicine there's no science there's no government that protects. I was looking at video today of the streets of uh, San Diego, San Francisco. You know, th this country is in a free fall at this point. Um, and God willing, it has gotten so bad, has gotten so bad that we're all now going to pull out of it and and just uh, or stagger out of it and build build something that we can feel is a living, breathing human life instead of this monstrosity they've had us trapped in for so long. Well, Celia Farber, David Rasnick, thank you both for being with us today. Much appreciated. I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day. Brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've 